from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Let's keep our message focused on our members. Just like credit unions put their members in the center, we must do that in advocacy. When we're talking about credit union members, when we're talking about the impact policy has on credit union members, we're going to win. That's CUNA Chief Advocacy Officer Ryan Donovan discussing a new approach the CUNA League team is taking to advocate for credit unions. He believes this message will resonate with members of Congress who are concerned primarily about how the policies they propose affect their constituents. I'm Bill Merrick, Deputy Editor for CUNA News. I talked to Donovan in December about advocacy highlights from 2019, priorities for 2020, and likely challenges we'll face along the way. Very interesting times in Washington now with the impeachment hearings and just general ill will. How does that trickle down into credit union advocacy? Well, you know, there's a lot of noise going on in Washington. That's without question. But I think particularly in the last couple of weeks of the congressional session, when impeachment really sort of ramped up in the House of Representatives, you saw Congress come together and and get some things done. And so, I, I you know, my takeaway from that is that even with a big distraction like impeachment, there's still opportunity for Congress to get things done. And we saw that in passing a, a spending bill that takes us through September, the extension of the Export-Import Bank and the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act, the Defense Authorization Bill, and also coming to agreement on the new NAFTA uh, trade accords. So even with impeachment, Congress has been able to get some things done. And I think that's important for folks to, to keep in mind, particularly as we look into 2020, that it may appear that there is gridlock and, and certainly it's, uh, you know, the, the process has slowed down, but there's still a lot of work that takes place uh, underneath the surface. And so it's important for us to be engaged throughout the year. And 2019 sure was a successful year for credit union advocacy. What highlights stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, where to begin? We've, we had a number of successes, you know, starting really in the courts where we continued to stand with credit unions facing ADA litigation and we saw a handful of victories in that regard. And, and really, I think more than the, than the victories, which are important, we saw uh, the number of new cases uh, drop significantly in, in 2019. We had a landmark victory just recently in the appeals court on NCUA's field of membership rule where the bankers had sued NCUA. The banks won the first round, NCOA won the appeal, and then got a very good decision from the full appeals court not to rehear the case, sending a strong message, I think, that in the eyes of the court, NCOA's rule passes muster. At the CFPB, we've seen a decrease in the number of, of new rules, and where the CFPB is engaged in rulemaking, they're looking to uh, reduce regulatory burdens. So, the CFPB in the last couple of weeks has proposed a new remittance rule that increases the exemption threshold from 100 to 500 remittances. And hopefully that'll allow credit unions uh, that might have exited that market to get back into it to serve their members. Uh, they're also taking steps to reform the payday small dollar loan rule that was finalized a couple of years ago. At NCUA, 
some very significant progress on the commercial real estate appraisal rule, uh, where they increased uh, the threshold, and now they're taking a look at the residential appraisal standards. We had RBC, risk-based capital, uh, delayed to 2022. And what that does is it gives us the opportunity to work with the agency to try to make some additional changes to that uh, rule before it goes into effect. We had great movement on the cannabis banking issue where we had a witness, uh, Rachel Pross, from MAPS Credit Union testify uh, in both the House and the Senate. Uh, We had the bill pass the House of Representatives, and now we're in a strong position in the Senate to see that move forward maybe next year. So just so many things. Just in the last two weeks, the House and the Senate came together on a national defense authorization bill. We had been very concerned about a provision that was in the Senate version of that bill that would have given banks rent-free access to military bases. We were able to get that provision removed from the legislation, and that helps preserve credit unions' ability to serve servicemen and women. And I think, you know, really importantly, just to sort of provide one more example, really early in the year, we worked closely with the Maryland DC League, with the Louisiana League, and with the Cooperative Credit Union Association to get a provision that would have subjected credit unions to the Community Reinvestment Act stripped out of uh, legislation that was being proposed by Senator Elizabeth Warren and uh, uh, the late Representative Elijah Cummings. That really represented not just a, a, a legislative victory that preserves credit unions' ability to serve their members, but also it's a great example of how we work really closely with uh, our partners at the leagues to advance our advocacy priorities. Can you explain a little bit more about how QN and the leagues work together to further credit union goals? One of the things that is really remarkable about the credit union system is the strong partnership that the National Association has with uh, state associations. We call it a three-tier system. Credit unions, leagues, and CUNA make up that three-tier system. When we engage in advocacy, what we're really trying to do is make sure that we're all speaking with one voice. And the feedback we've gotten from policymakers over the last several years is that the CUNA League system does that as well, if not better, than most associations. We've got a number of studies that demonstrate that. But the reason that that's the case is that we are very intentional about how we go about it. So we have leagues that are part of our advocacy committee and our and the subcommittees. Uh, we engage them very intentionally in the development of our advocacy agenda. And then also working with the league's government affairs professionals, we're constantly talking about strategizing and, and implementing tactics, how we're going to approach offices, what bills we might be moving. In fact, the partnership has gotten so close over the last uh, several years that we used to call the League government affairs professionals, the gaps. And now uh, we refer to this relationship as the CUNA League advocacy team. That And, and for me, that what that means is that we're really one unit trying to advocate for credit unions. And then we're constantly talking with them, not just about how we're engaging members of Congress, but we're working with them on candidate decisioning, trying to figure out who we're going to support in elections. And our PAC uh, disbursement strategy is very dependent on our coordination with the league. So really, in every area of advocacy, CUNA and the leagues are working closely together. I, I did a uh, an informal survey of uh, of my team a couple of weeks ago, and we figured out that we 
have on average about 300 interactions with league partners each week, uh, which was it just blew my mind when uh, we we kind of totaled it all up. But it, if you think about it, it really makes sense given the the tight connection that we have. Wow, 300 a week—that's that's quite a bit. Absolutely, I knew, it, but it's necessary too. And um, if we weren't talking and working together so closely, we wouldn't be nearly as effective. Looking ahead to 2020, what are your top priorities for your advocacy agenda? For 2020, we just had our advocacy agenda approved by the board of directors, and it followed a process that we've developed over the last several years of engaging uh, credit unions, large and small, engaging our, our league partners, listening to what the priorities and what the needs are for credit unions in the marketplace, particularly where there's public policy that's impeding service to members or where there's opportunity to change public policy to make it easier for credit unions to serve members. We're going into 2020 with really four advocacy pillars that are familiar to folks, I think, that have followed our efforts over the last several years. What we're hearing from credit unions is that they want us to continue to focus on removing regulatory burdens, expanding powers and opportunities for credit unions, enhancing information security, and preserving the tax status. Now, what's interesting about this is we really take two things into consideration when developing the agenda. The first is, you know, what we're hearing from credit unions, and then we try to balance that with the the political realities that we're working within. So, when we think about 2020, what we're planning to do is try to build that agenda on a foundation of financial wellness because we want to talk with policymakers about how credit unions are working to address financial insecurity, improve financial health, and advance financial inclusion. This is really a change for us compared to the last couple of years where we've talked about common sense regulation and the cost of regulatory burden. The change is important, and the reason behind the change is that the composition of Congress has changed as well as the priorities of Congress. So a couple of years ago, reg burden, common sense regulation played very well in Congress. Right now, members of Congress are more concerned about how the policies that they're proposing are going to impact their constituents. So what we're trying to do is make sure that we're talking about how Credit unions are a solution to the financial problems facing millions of Americans, and then look at policy proposals through the lens of will it help credit unions continue to be a solution, or is it going to make it harder for credit unions to be that solution? When we think about specific issues that I think will get a lot of attention next year, data security and data privacy come to mind. This is a really hot issue uh, in Congress. It's being driven by the fact that California and the European Union both have new privacy standards. The California standards go into effect, I believe, in about a year. There's a rulemaking process that's going on right now in in California on the implementing regulations there. But this has captured the attention of Congress. And what we've been telling policymakers for the last year or so is we understand that data privacy is a critical issue But how in the world do you have data privacy without having data security? So we've asked Congress to consider a law that would provide a national data security and data privacy standard that every entity that interacts with personal information has to follow. One rule for the road that applies to everyone. 
And the good news is we're starting to see legislation like that pop up. And the even better news is that it's being introduced by members of Congress that are in a position to be thought leaders on the issue. So a few weeks ago, Senator Roger Wicker from Mississippi, who's the chair of the Senate Commerce Committee, he introduced or a discussion draft of a bill that is a national standard that would apply to everyone that has a security component to it. We expect to see similar legislation coming out of the House of Representatives from members of the Energy and Commerce Committee there. That's very positive steps in the right direction. And Bill, as, as, as you know, and you've heard me say this a number of times, advocacy is a process, not an event. And these small events help us make progress uh, through that process. Uh, so we're, we're excited about the, the potential for uh, data privacy and data security legislation. And I think it fits in nicely with our desire to be there for our members and, and help address some of the financial problems that are facing millions of Americans. What do you think might be some of the biggest threats to credit union interests in 2020? And how might you address those threats? I think that the biggest threats that we'll face in 2020 may not present themselves in Washington, but rather they'll be at the state level where we are seeing state banking trade associations take advantage of poor fiscal conditions of states. Sometimes they're taking advantage of uh, legislatures that have a number of new members uh, that have been recently elected. Uh, sometimes they're taking advantage of uh, a change in trade association leadership, a new CEO that's got something to, to prove, and they're they're trying to undermine the credit union tax status in those states. So we've had recent battles in Iowa and Illinois. There's been some threats in Kentucky, a, a new threat in Kansas. And I think that that's going to continue as we get into 2020. The fact of the matter is these attacks are becoming more sophisticated. And one of the things that I've said for a number of years is I'll be a little concerned when the banks start turning to a new chapter in the playbook. And they have, particularly in a state like Kansas, where they've employed a completely different legislative strategy than we've seen elsewhere. In Kansas, what they're doing is they've got a bill that would reduce taxes on banks in Kansas and one that would tax uh, the credit unions in, in Kansas. What they're essentially trying to do there is is dare the Kansas legislature to, to say no to them twice. Uh, so that presents some pretty interesting dynamics. And I guess when I think about the threats, I'd say to folks, if you're in a state that has a significant budget deficit, a relatively new legislature or a new head of a state banking association that might feel like she or he has something to prove. You know, those are the conditions where we're likely to see an increased threat to the tax status. So how do we counter these new threats and these new tactics? Well, a number of ways. One, uh, the good news is that we've got uh, fantastic advocacy leadership at the state level on the part of the state credit union leagues and associations. And so what CUNA's role in this is really to in a lot of cases, follow their lead and support their efforts. And one of the ways that we do that is through our National Advocacy Fund, which helps us provide some extraordinary assistance. Uh, sometimes it's in the form of research to really understand the dynamics of what's going on on the ground and the messages that will resonate with voters and lawmakers. Sometimes it's uh, providing resources for ads and other material that's used to help to advance our message. 
But the bottom line is that the way that we position both our National Advocacy Fund resources as well as our association resources in these state tax battles is to support the leadership that the leagues are providing at the ground level. So looking ahead a little bit, there's a uh, presidential election uh, around the corner. What does that mean for credit union advocacy? Well, when we look at any election, and particularly the the presidential election, we see opportunity. You know, we won't be in, endorsing uh, any presidential candidate. We don't have a history of doing that, and there's a lot of reasons why it wouldn't be prudent to do that. What we will do is take advantage of the election and the campaign to do a, a great deal of education, both of voters as well as candidates. So. We want candidates for all offices to come into office with a strong understanding of what makes credit unions different and why it's critical to have credit unions in the marketplace. So we'll partner with credit unions and leagues throughout the course of the year to make sure that we know the candidates running for office, that they have exposure to what we do and why we do it. We'll also take advantage of the election activity to try to educate voters, uh, to get them registered to vote, but also uh, to educate them on where candidates stand on credit union issues. You know, our strength is in our numbers. We have 115 million Americans that are members of credit unions, and our research shows that a large majority of those credit union members are uh, not just registered voters, but that they also vote. Uh, so there's an incredible amount of strength, and if we can grow that uh, number among credit union members. It, it just makes us that much stronger when we're able to go into an office, tell them how many of their constituents are credit union members, and then have them know also that a great deal of those credit union members are active voters. It, it strengthens our overall advocacy impact. What might change for credit unions if Democrats retook the office of the president? When we look at the elections, we're always preparing for every outcome, right? So in 2016, when the conventional wisdom was that Secretary Clinton was going to win the White House, we still had a plan for uh, an outcome where Donald Trump became president. And we were ready to go the day after the election to implement that plan. So the first thing is we're prepared for every outcome. I think if we were to see a Democrat in the White House, we'd expect that the CFPB and the NCUA might take a more aggressive approach to newer rulemaking, and that has the potential to increase regulatory burden for credit unions. I mean, let's face it, anytime a regulation's changed, it's going to increase costs for credit unions because of everything that goes into complying with new regulation. But we've had a period over the last uh, two or three years where there's been a decrease in new rules coming out of Washington. And I think with the change of administration, we'd uh, expect to see that change. The other thing to keep in mind is if there's a Democratic president, it doesn't take much imagination to conclude that a Democratic House and possibly a Democratic Senate would come along with that. In that environment, what we would be concerned with would be efforts to potentially roll back uh, some of the regulatory relief uh, that we were able to achieve last year in S-2155. But there's also an opportunity that a unified government could provide some opportunities to advance charter enhancement legislation. It might also make it easier to advance uh, data security and data privacy legislation. So 
again, I, I go back to we'll be prepared for every outcome. And I think credit unions will do fine no matter the outcome of the election. But there are some things that we do need to be mindful of and prepared to mitigate. Well, we'll all be talking about these issues at the uh, CUNA Governmental Affairs Conference, which is coming up in February. What are you looking forward to most about the GAC? I love the GAC because it's like a big family reunion. Everybody gets together and uh, the credit union family is large, it's diverse, and I just can't wait to have everybody in, in the same room. From an advocacy perspective, you can't ask for anything more than to have 5,000 members marching on Capitol Hill, delivering a message of credit union difference and talking about how credit unions make a difference in the lives of their members every day. That's just exciting, and that's something that is pretty special and, and we shouldn't take for granted. So I just encourage folks to come to Washington, be a part of that. I think, you know, if you've talked to folks that have been there before, everybody's got a memory, everybody has uh, an impression, it's made an impact on folks, and it's certainly our opportunity to make a strong impact on uh, policymakers as they're considering changes that could impact uh, credit unions and how we serve our members. Looking more broadly, how do you see credit union advocacy evolving in the future? I think that there's, you know, at least two ways that credit union advocacy needs to evolve in the future. The first is we've got to talk more about how policy impacts credit union members. And this is going to be a big change for a number of our advocates. And the truth of the matter is, We've spent the last four or five years talking about how policy impacts credit unions, how it drives up costs for credit unions, how we've had to hire more compliance officers to deal with all the new rules. And the secret is, Bill, most members of Congress just don't care. They don't care about how much the new regulation is going to cost a credit union or a bank or any institution to implement. So we've got to talk to them about what they care about, which is they care about their constituents. They want to know how what they're doing here in Washington is going to impact the folks that send them to Washington to represent them. So we've got to change our language a little bit, and we're working on that. We're going to talk more about how credit unions are helping to address financial insecurity, how we're trying to improve financial health, and how we're trying to advance financial inclusion. And so that's one way that our advocacy's got to evolve. But the second way is we've got to get more credit union members involved in these efforts. If the folks that are most invested in the success of credit unions don't speak up for credit unions, who will? And for my money, the folks that are most invested in credit unions are the people that are putting their life savings in the stewardship of their credit union that are coming to them in times of financial need, seeking loans, that want to buy a house, want to send a kid to college, need a car to get a job. Those are the folks that are most invested in the success of credit unions, and we need to have them as part of our advocacy efforts. So I think the more that we do that, the greater success we're going to have. And, and those are the two ways that I think our advocacy needs to evolve in 2020 and beyond. Do you have any advocacy resolutions for 2020? You know, in terms of our advocacy resolutions for 2020, I'd say let's keep our message focused on our members. Just like credit unions put their members in the center, we must do that in advocacy. When we're talking about credit union members, when we're talking about the impact policy has on credit union members, we're going to win. And when we win, 
That's good for credit union members. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.